Okay, so I'm going to be talking about humility. Okay, and we'll be talking about scriptures on it. All right. So let's begin. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily, ver verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as a little child, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall be humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Basically, if we don't uh, come to him and are willing to obey him, as a little child will obey their parents, by no means shall we enter the kingdom of God. And it is um, through that that we're able to obey Christ, provided we are willing to be converted by him daily. All right. But uh, let's look into other scriptures and what it means to be in that spiritual humility. Okay. Let's look into that. Simply put, spiritual Spiritually humble people living in loving awareness of the God who loves us and all the people God created and loves. As Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, he has told you, O mortal, what is good and what is what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It means you aim to continually listen, receive, and respond with genuinely, genuineness, genuineness, openness to life from the deep conviction of God's loving kindness and goodwill. Spiritually, humility is reliant upon God, the God who is other than us. He, he most often known in ways that include and yet transcend our physical sense of senses alone. As a result, spiritual humility is distinct from intellectual humility, a field oriented toward our knowledge, beliefs, and mental limitations. If we are spiritually humble, if we are spiritually humble, we can better view all human beings, including ourselves, through the lens of God's love, no matter what their behavior. How? Because we're all made in God's image, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. And this is also where we have to look into the scripture that talks about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because human beings don't always act as they should. Most of the time, never act the way they should. And God still commands us to love them in spite of it all. We know ourselves and others rightly when we versely experience our authentic belovedness by God. Knowing ourselves in this way means that there is no need to prove ourselves or judge anyone, including ourselves. Humans spend a lot of effort trying to prove they are lovable, that they matter, that they are worthy of value. Truly knowing ourselves as deeply loved by God eliminates that kind of unnecessary striving. Instead of taking ourselves too seriously, we know ourselves in the context of all the rest of God's creation as valued, but not as the center of his presence and activity in the world. 
we are free to see God's image and to delight in it, affirm it, support it, bless it, and to learn from and serve it, especially in others, whenever and however we can. Okay. Who is one example of, of a biblical figure who demonstrated spiritual humility? Jesus is our ultimate picture of biblical humility. The gospel accounts record that Jesus' ministry was rooted in the, his relationship with God, especially in his beloved in his belovedness as God's son. At his baptism, the voice of the father declares, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Matthew chapter three, verse 17. When we read the stories of Jesus' interactions with people, we witness true humility over and over again. He values people who are habitually ignored by others, children, the socially excluded, the sick, and even those suffering from demonic possession. Why does Jesus do this? Such e with such ease because he is humble. His confidence in God's love for him and for everyone else empowers his capacity to see, love, serve, and bless others without the need to be self-referential. Why? What are some negative consequences of not being spiritually humble? A lack of spiritual humility closes us off to God's voice the, from the embrace of the for the full embrace of God's love, and from our capacity to deeply rest in faith we waste a lot of energy and time self-improving self-proving self-protecting self-aggrandizing and self-pitying ourselves we judge and criticize others and compare others compare ourselves to others we misuse the gifts of god the gifts god has given us and abuse ourselves others and creation all of this is terribly destructive why is spiritual military important biblically Spiritual humility is both a characteristic of God and is a means of openness, opening us to receive God's grace. It is a foundation of a life that pleases him. It is a primary way to imitate Christ. The scripture repeatedly teaches the truth that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4, verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, based on Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Experiencing, <clears throat> experientially, Humility is freeing. Humility so grounds us in the love and wonder of God that it frees our capacity to love God, others, and ourselves and God's creation. It helps us fulfill the greatest commandment and living for the deepest purpose of which we were created, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and all our strength, and to love others as ourselves. Matthew chapter 22, verses 33, 37 to 40, and Luke chapter 10, verse 27. We find ourselves free to authentically love others, discovering that we love others because he first loved us. First John chapter 4, verse 19. In this sense, humility is experimentally, experimentally powering. That is basically what it is. Okay. But let's go into even deeper on the scripture on on the scriptures on pride. Okay, which is the deadliest sin. All right. All right. In our culture, it can be difficult to see pride as a sin. We talk about taking pride in our work and being proud of our heritage. We are proud of our children and of our accomplishments, we work hard to instill self-esteem into our children and another 
another word for pride, which is true. So why is pride considered not merely considered not merely a sin, but the worst of all sins? Even the secular world, some forms of pride are unacceptable, except perhaps in celebrities. Boastfulness, arrogance, self-centeredness, treating others with contempt, all are recognized as wrong by the culture. In Christian theology, these certainly qualify as sin, but the prior problem is found in the underlying attitude that these things reveal. An attitude that can be present even if even if unaccompanied by these behaviors. Okay. When we see ourselves as better than as better, we assume we should be over or ahead of others because of who we are. We have fallen into pride. The sin of pride, Latin, Serbia, or arrogance, is found in our craving for superiority over those around us and that see other people as inferior to us. At times, it may be appropriate to see ourselves as better at something than another person. For example, if you ever golfed or played tennis, you are sure to be better at it than I am. But when we see ourselves as better, we assume we should be over or ahead of others because of who we are. We have fallen into pride. One obvious way pride can manifest itself is in the desire to be the center of attention in any group, the life of the party, or be treated like E.F. Hutton, so that we can, so we, so when we speak, people listen, along with boasting and constantly trying to be one up the people around us. This is one of the most obvious expressions of pride. Our success can also lead to pride. The stereotypical picture of the high school quarterback who thinks he's better than all the nerds and losers in the school is one example of this. But even among adults, this attitude is distressingly common. People with professional credentials or success in business who lorded over those under them. College professors who think that because they are experts in one field, they are experts in others. Celebrities who see themselves as economical political experts who can tell other people how to live their lives, wealthy people who believe their financial resources give them greater insight into the world, college students who think they are superior to people who went, who went to the trades. The list of those whose success leads to pride is nearly endless. Similarly, pride can manifest itself as unwarranted confidence in one's own abilities. The student who doesn't bother to study because she's smart or the worker who doesn't prepare for a meeting or an assignment because he got this are both guilty of pride manifesting itself as exedia, sloth. Looking down on others because they are not a member of the appropriate group is yet another form of pride. This includes the obvious examples of racism and sexism, but is also found in contempt for liberals or conservatives or members of another political party or people who do not have the right to view um, do not have the right views on global warming or eating vegan or virtually anything else, including religious beliefs, even self-esteem, which we value highly in our education system, can easily be turned into pride. While there are positive elements of high self-esteem, for example, there is a correlation between high self-esteem and happiness. Dennis Auckland points out in his book, Dangerous Passions, Deadly Sins, that there is a dark side to self-esteem, which he calls self-esteemia. He summarizes some of the findings of that re of the research. A dark side of high self-esteem may elevate success over well-being, manifest more group favoritism, blame others for one's own shortcomings in relationships, put down others by comparison, think more highly 
of their high of their value to others in relationships than is actually deserved tend to overvalue the contributions they make to the group exhibit some antisocial behavior such as bullying and be defensive narcissistic arrogant conceited egotistic and aggressive this matches the description of pride in the ancient monks it was just the kind of pride that led lucifer to challenge god's authority turning the archangel into satan this is what gives pride its deadly force pride inevitably sets us in direct opposition to god now we look into spiritual pride the most dangerous form of pride is spiritual pride this again takes many forms it can make us like the pharisee in jesus parable who boasts about his own righteousness before god while deriding his fellow man luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. okay which is very much true when it came to the uh sadducees and uh pharisees and especially it came you can see it much in um religious leaders of today who want to throw away sound doctrine and teach things that are ungodly and unbiblical, like uh, remarriage after divorce while the spouse still lives, while their first covenant spouse still lives, and how, um, let's say, uh, dressing in drag is now something of a gifts of the spirit, and many other doctrines from the pit of hell. Our spiritual devotion our spiritual attainments, even the overcoming of a sin in our life can easily lead us to think of ourselves as being spiritual mature on better terms with God because of our spiritual success rather than because of his grace in the process of implying that we have progressed beyond the need for grace so we can approach God on our own merits or even as a colleague or equal. To the ancient monks who studied these sins, this was the most alarming aspect of pride. It turned genuine spiritual success into occasions of for sin because they could move us to think more highly of ourselves than we should. The more we mature in our faith, the more consistently we live it out. The closer we grow to we grow to God, the more we are in danger of falling into the spiritual pride. If we just if it was just this kind of pride that led Lucifer to challenge God's authority, turning the archangel into Satan. And this is this, and this was what gives pride it's deadly force pride inevitably sets us in direct opposition to god consider what gives humanity its unique dignity biblically it is the fact that we were are made in god's image so for example noah is told that whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for man is made in the image of god genesis chapter 9 verse 6 in other words an attack on another human being is an attack on the god in whose image that person is made similarly and when you look at this too you could also see the reason why not to go to war why christians should not join the military because you are going to kill a person made in the image of god okay and there are repercussions for that you could also you could uh look up all these soldiers that are suffering with ptsd and nightmares because they have killed so many people okay Similarly, Jesus immediately links the command to love God with the command to love our neighbor, and then explains in the parable of the Good Samaritan that your neighbor includes even those your culture considers inferiors or enemies. Or we can turn to 1 John, where we are told that anyone who does not love his neighbor whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. To put it simply, whenever you place a character, any characteristic ahead of the image of God in determining human worth, whether race or gender or education or ability or disability or wealth or fame or political or social 
affiliations or religion, anything you are literally insulting God to his face. Pride that sets us over others also sets us in direct opposition to the God whose image that we were made. Similarly, if you think you deserve God's favor or can earn your way into it, you are saying you are not dependent on God's grace. You can handle it yourself, and you are so good that he will, of course, accept and bless you. This amounts to saying that Jesus didn't really need to die for you, that you could do what's needed on your own, and thus you are not radically dependent on him for your spiritual state. Is it any wonder that the scripture tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? Pride is deadly and affects us all. It is also notorious, dif notoriously difficult to deal with since, like the ancient hydra of the Greek myth, as soon as we think we cut it off, cut it off from our lives, it instantly grows back, quite possibly in more virulent form than before. Okay. And um, that is basically there in a nutshell. Okay. I hope this uh what podcast was a blessing to you and um you could also uh check out fight to the finish on spotify okay and you have a blessed and wonderful day like share and subscribe